1: Fender Bender on Joy 94.9, revving up the weekends with news and views on all things motoring. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. My name is Daniel Gardner and you're listening to Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. Good afternoon. It is a fabulous Saturday afternoon out there. Uh, Thank you so much to the fabulous team at Critical Hit. Another uh, fully gamed up episode there. We are talking today on Fender Bender. It is a special episode, and if you are even slightly into cars, you will know exactly what it's going to be a special of. Of course, the Tokyo Motor Show is on as we speak. Uh, a couple of us were very lucky enough to be there in person, and we will be bringing you all of the action, all of the reels, all of the concepts, and so much more from the Tokyo Show, which probably is an, an opportune moment to introduce my guest. Thank you very much, Mike Costello, a regular now of Fender Bender, of actually, when I say regular, that's slightly patronizing. You've been on the show longer than I have. Yeah, maybe. Is so that, it? Yes. How yes. many Tokyo uh, shows have you been to? Oh, this is only
0: my second. Okay, it's only every two years. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I wasn't laughing at you. I was admiring the fact that the end of that song coincided with us being introduced to the sound of canned applause. That was nice, was I think we should
1: make that a regular thing. Okay, I'll try and yeah. There's probably a sound effect yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah, I think all I've got at the moment is some skidding, which you know it's inappropriate, <laughs> but probably a little bit distasteful. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, good to have you back. And we'll be talking about your escapades in Japan. And we are we are also joined in the studio by the by the fabulous Kez Casey, who is also now I'm very pleased to say quite a regular attendee of Fenbender. How are you, sir? Very good. Excellent. Now, you were one of the unfortunate souls who had to be back in Australia manning the fort. Now, um, we go to these shows and say, you know, oh, God, it's such hard work, you know, wandering around all day. Talking about- Actually, the hard work is being back here and picking up all the bits that
2: you can't cover when you're at the motor show. So you've been working harder than anyone while you were back here, have you not? Absolutely. Well, you guys have been lounging around, whooping it up in Tokyo. Somebody stayed and did all the hard work. Exactly, and that was you. That was me.
1: In amongst a handful of
2: other journalists. So I'll be talking to
1: you both guys. We'll be covering off uh, some of the news that came out of Tokyo. We'll also be talking about the concepts and the production versions that came out. And Mike and I, we were both uh, lucky enough to have a little drive while we were there of some important cars. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later. In the meantime, though, let's get stuck into some of the news. Fender Bender. Guaranteed to leave skid marks? Horrid. Okay, kicking off with... uh, Now, VW, we talk about Volkswagen virtually every week now on Fender Bender because they have been a little bit naughty with their emissions scandal. We won't cover off the details too much because otherwise it would be pretty much a five-minute segment every week. Um, But the big news here is at the Tokyo Motor Show, um, Volkswagen had an important announcement to make, and that was that they have come up with a fix for their smoky engines that are belching out way too much uh, emissions, and they have now said that they have come up with a fix for it. Did they say what that fix was? No. Suspicious. Because they they aren't saying... <laughs> well, they Look, what's the suggestion? We were talking about this off air, and we think they haven't got one yet. I they're, just they're sort of, making
2: it up. Do you? Yeah.
1: But how can they? I mean, well, they must have been working... They didn't enough. say
2: we've got a fix tomorrow. They said we've got a fix that will start rolling out in January. So there's some oh, really? poor engineer working his bum off yeah. in Germany going, Oh, man, I've got like two months to fix this. Jeez. Right. And then... I'm going to go out there and I'm going to say, come January, they'll say, there's been a production delay. Yeah, okay. We're going to make it March, make right. it April. So, I think
1: that uh, we think they're buying time at the moment, do we? I think they are. Well, I mean, they could fix it right now
0: if they had to. But the issue is fixing it in a way that doesn't send them bankrupt and that can be rolled out en mass Because there's 11 million cars affected and you have to do it cheap enough that it literally doesn't drain all your coffers.
1: So, I think I'm sure they could fix it easily enough, but the logistics around it are the hard bits. And I can forgive them that. I mean, I think if they completely were on record and came out with that, and if you're you're quite right, Mike, I think people would forgive them, because you know, like, if they did say, okay, we're going to do it all in one shot, they'd probably only get through about 10% of the cars that need doing, and then they'd go bust, and and 90% of the cars wouldn't get fixed. So, I think if they just said, look, we need time to do this, I know we're Volkswagen, we've got squillions of dollars, but we do need time to fix this I would suggest the fact that they chose to make this announcement
0: in the to- in, at the Tokyo Motor Show rather than in Europe mm. was so when you're in the uh, motoring journalist scene you notice certain countries have certain ways of, of of interviewing and getting the most they can out of executives when an announcement is made in europe they're grilled remorselessly yeah. by you know the business journalists and environmental journalists are going to ask the hard questions. At the Tokyo Motor Show, you can do a sound bite and then you can leave the stage and you can kind of avoid the hard follow-up questions. And I think it's really telling that they maybe did it in Tokyo rather than somewhere else. I see. I, You know, this is all just me spitballing and it's not me actually accusing them of anything, but it just seems like an interesting place to make the announcement.
1: That does make... That makes sense in a lot of ways, although mm. the attendance at the Volkswagen stand would suggest otherwise. I mean, they Mammoth. were absolutely inundated. I think everyone was expecting them to say something and if they didn't say something, there were going to be a lot of questions asked so yeah they're never going to, they're not going to get away with this are they really no okay. <laughs> all right watch this space because they do say that the fix is going to be in the majority of cases software but in some cases it will need to be hardware they're going to say exactly what they're doing about it a little bit more detail later and of course you will hear all about it on fender bender uh also land rover at the uh, launch or at least the showing of their f-pace which is sorry the jaguar f-pace jaguar land rover same company these days Uh, Made an announcement saying that uh, they were going to be the first people... Now, we hear a lot and talk a lot on Fender Bender about autonomous cars. uh, But Land Rover have gone on record at the Tokyo show saying they're going to be the first people to make an autonomous off-roader. Hey, what about that? Well, I think the benefits of this are...
0: You know, that you can, if there's a, you know, you're not quite sure whether your car can make it, you don't quite feel safe, you can get out and watch your car go up the ravine or make it through that tricky part. But isn't that is so cool? Isn't the fun in off roading doing the off roading? True. Not to be a traditionalist, but it's like a race car that drives itself and you're just sitting in it. Isn't that, isn't the engagement what makes off roading fun unless it's purely utilitarian and yeah. you're just trying to get somewhere? And
1: who realistically does that? No, because there's roads roads. So the yeah. only
0: reason you go on off road trails is because you want the challenge. So it seems like a kind of pointless mission. I don't yeah. get why they're doing it. Okay. Okay, other than just to say, hey, we can. I have never really looked
2: at it like that. Can but I, then I suppose, go on. Can I also point out that nobody really thought about this? Say, for example, you get out of your car and you let it autonomously cross a river.
1: How do you get after then it? Then
2: your car is on the <laughs> other side of the river. And where are you? You're on the wet side to get to your ca- That makes no sense. Like, nobody is, at Land Rover actually gave this any decent that thought. That's a really excellent point. I love that. Well, okay, so they, the
1: technology they've already rolled, not rolled out, but they've uh, demonstrated, is that you can get an application on your smartphone you can drive your Range Rover, effectively like a really big, expensive remote control car. Uh, so, if you did make the mistake, as Kes points out, I love that, or just let it. You know, you've, you've all seen people flying radio-controlled planes, and they get out of range. I see it like the, yeah. the Range Rover out of range. It's like, oh god! But that's also, a war. how
0: hard is it to control a regular remote control car? You end up crashing it into stuff and going. Yeah. What the hell is going to be just rogue Range Rovers just smashing
1: into <laughs> other cars? So good on you, Range Rover Land Rover. That's uh, it's a great idea, but utterly pointless. <laughs> Uh, Citroen. Well, I had a little chat with Citroen while I was there, and um, you know how the DS brand has now separated from Citroen? Well, recently did the Australian launch of That's that right. very car, yeah. That's right, so they've got the DS5 here. Citroen features nowhere in the brand of DS anymore, so they're two separate things. DS now has got a pretty good deal, because they're just pursuing entirely as a more premium brand to go against the Germans. But I asked the CEO of um, of Citroen Global, uh, a fabulous lady called Linda Jackson, I, I really wanted it, when I was talking to her, I really wanted to have to apologise for something because then I could say I'm sorry Miss Jackson <laughs> anyway uh, yeah, um, you
0: would have been an outcast did. among
1: your oh! fellow oh! members oh! If had it on that. upstage! stage Dan was upstage. <laughs> uh, I said you know in losing DS have you kind of lost an important asset and she said actually no we, this is the best thing that's ever happened to Citroen we've now got an opportunity to completely reinvent ourselves and be way more fun than we ever have been she said like the cactus which is coming to Australia um, next next year or earlier later, yeah, later, price isn't? from 27 grand by there the way there you go thank chips, you chips. Mike chips. Um, yeah she said we're going to be doing way more cars like that now and so I said well Aircross, which is their the proper SUV, and she said we really want that car. So we could be seeing with the rebrand, um, I- instead of them actually losing an important asset, they're going to be able to access and develop way more fun cars. From it's Richard. very clear what they're
0: doing, isn't it? Like uh, uh, the PSA group, Peugeot is the Volkswagen competitor, Citroen is the Skoda competitor, and DS is the Audi competitor. It's exactly the same yeah. strategy. One's luxury, one's a bit funky and out there, and one is you know very con- sort of safe and reliable and efficient and all those things. It's it's sort of an interesting tack that they're taking.
1: Yeah. All right, gentlemen, uh, I'm going to have to have a quick break. Not for anything in particular. You know, I don't need a wee or a cup of tea or anything. I just would like to play cup some of tea would be all right. And, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. Stay with us, though. Stay with us. We're not going anywhere uh, until five o'clock. Uh, so you're on Fender on Join 94.9. Before the break, we were talking all things news out of the Tokyo Motor Show. And we want to stay on the news just for a few moments longer because, Mike, you had a chat with the main man of Mitsubishi uh, and got an update on their state of play. <laughs> Yeah, It wasn't great news, was it? Uh, I, uh, yes, Ikawa-san I have spoken to a couple
0: of times about. Because Mitsubishi is one of those companies that, uh, you know, in the 90s was iconic for things like the Evos. And it was doing some radical stuff. And, and just lately, it, its cars are, are efficient and safe and all those things. But it, it also isn't a company that's exactly on the cutting edge of a lot of things. And two things that stand out are the fact that the Lancer is two generations old now and they're still making it and it's hopelessly outclassed by newer small cars like the Golf and the Focus and the Pajero which is one of the most famous names in the business mm. but it's 16 years old now in its current generation. It is? Yeah, 1999 that shape launched. It's had updates and they're you know tweaking it and adding new infotainment and all that sort of stuff but uh, fundamentally the same car I and mean, in that that is ancient. That is Methuselah age in <laughs> the modern era of automotive engineering. And so the question to pose to Mitsubishi obviously was well where's you new Lancer and where's your new Pajero? And the bad news is there's no new version of either in sight for years yet.
1: What are they going to do?
0: Well, the Lan- see, they, they tried to do a deal with Renault Nissan to, to source right. a platform to make a new Lancer on because the company says it's quite small. It can't afford to make a new yeah. car by itself. It has to get help from somewhere else. That deal fell through. The company says it's really trying to find a new partner and it just can't do it. And it's admitted that it has nothing on the cards, which is a bit depressing for any fan of the Lancer who wants to see a new one. You're gonna to have to wait a long time and it may never happen at all. And it's the same story with Pajero. The company was you know it released a concept two years ago that was showing the supposed next Pajero. Mm. Nothing has materialized since, and the company now admits it's at least three, four, five years away from anything new in that area. And again, it may not happen at all either.
1: See now this is a worry, isn't it? Because Mitsubishi has it's basically flying on empty, but it's relying on the last fumes in the tank of people who like the brand and as we saw with the Triton, you know, when that was running out before the new one arrived, people were buying that because the price was so cheap, been around for so long they managed to cut the price down to virtually free people <laughs> love the Triton and it was just surviving entirely on that, reputation and the price. Yeah, and it's not a good way to build your brand and, and the company all. did say it's ha-
0: it's got one new model coming which is going to sit between the ASX and the Outlander so another sort of smallish SUV which is where all the buyers in the market are going now, the next ASX will get a bit smaller, there'll be this new one in the middle and there'll be the Outlander and that'll be the family, right? But the two most famous models that that company makes are the Lancer and the Pajero and there is nothing happening there. And it's a little bit kind of, you know, challenging to see how the company... I mean, the whole point of business, as Mazda showed, when it was in trouble, mm. is when you're in big financial trouble, you actually invest, you get a line of credit somehow, and you make a new product, you get new buyers to your brand,
1: and then you dig yourself out of a hole that way. It's kind of sad to see what's happening to Mitsubishi. So what? What? what's the worst case? What happens, you know, if they if they can't find someone to pair up with for the new Lancer, if they can't find the development cash for another Pajero, what happens? Do they just disappear? Well, or?
0: Mitsubishi's largely focused on the ASEAN region now, which is you know, largely developing market region. And so what might happen is it starts making cars for, you know, India and Indonesia and developing markets, but those vehicles tend to not translate to standards that we'd sell cars in markets like right. ours in Europe and America. So you might see Mitsubishi just completely refocus. It'll still be around. But as to whether it can play in markets like ours long term, who knows?
1: Who knows? Interesting. Mm. We will watch this space, poor Mitsubishi. That was the new Don't forget to fasten your seatbelt. You are listening to Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. Now, a motor show wouldn't be a motor show without a radical new concept or two, and Tokyo was absolutely no exception this year. There were a whole host of weird and wacky machines that were debuted for, for the first time. That's actually a tautology, isn't it? Debuted for the first time? Okay, so pretend you didn't hear that. Uh, So, yes, the show show this year was very colourful indeed. The Japanese are really good at a a weird and outlandish uh, concept, and uh, the one that everyone was waiting for, which wasn't particularly weird and outlandish, but was was probably the talk of the show, Mazda and their eagerly and long-awaited concept RX Vision. Now, this car is... Important for a variety of reasons, most notably that they've confirmed it will mark the return of rotary power, or as I really like saying on this show, the wankel engine. <laughs> now, what do we think of this? It's an impressive-looking thing.
2: Come, yeah, okay, hang on. We've got uh, Kez, who is a Mazda owner. <laughs> I have one small problem with the RX Vision concept. Now, <gasps> I love, I love the idea of a rotary-powered car, and I love that Mazda has, after every other manufacturer has given up on it in the past, Mazda is the sole manufacturer that still has engineers working on making the rotary acceptable in terms of emissions and reliability, which are two things that it's not particularly great for. They haven't said much about this engine, so we don't know if it's going to be turbocharged, we don't know if it's going to be partly Mm hybridised, but they are building this car on a unique platform, it doesn't share any parts with anything else in the Mazda range that's an expensive endeavour and to do that it means that they will not be building another MPS and that's why I have a problem. Oh, I see. Because I have an MPS and I want another one and there isn't one to replace it with.
1: But, okay, but if they, potentially, you know, Mazda's doing, it's brilliant, brand in Australia, making a bit of cash here. If they offer a sports car that could potentially, you know, bump funds up a little bit, then maybe they find the money and the notoriety to put perhaps, you know, put pump that into a new MPS for you, Kez?
2: To be honest, this thing is absolutely gorgeous, and it will sell its socks off if they can manage to build it. No word on price or spec or anything like that yet. Like, it's purely just a concept, but buyers would fall over themselves to if buy one if like they it, managed yeah. to put it in a production. That is, the like dan- concept.
0: that is the danger because they're putting it on its own platform and it's got technology that took a lot of time and investment and resources to come up with to get the rotary effective in the modern era. All those things tell me that it's going to be a really expensive car Yeah, because there's so many costs associated with the development. Unless the company absorbs some of those, it's going to be a really high-end model, which is great, but whether Mazda can get away with selling a extremely, an exotic priced car because because in my mind, it has to be like the RX-7 was, which is relatively affordable. Yeah. Not because it's not going to be great, but because that's the sort of car that you sort of expect from Mazda, like a, a, a semi-premium performance car, rather than a really high-end exotic.
1: Okay, so let's have a speculate then. If we know what size the car is now, because we've seen it, you know, it'll be loosely, loosely the, the same size. Uh, hopefully it retains a lot of those beautiful design features. It's a really, it's a classic classic front-engine, rear-drive sports car coupe. Um what would you pay for a car like that with rotary performance? We're expecting it to be, you know, it'll be, you know, 300 horsepower, sort of what's that, you know, if it's a hybrid, it might be a bit more. What would you what would you pay for a car of that performance and that size and that looks like
2: that?
0: 70 or 80 grand. Really? Yeah, it's not a lot. No.
2: No, is it? So that's the you same three seventy Z Nissan. No, a little more. You little bit. But more, you yeah. wouldn't pay Porsche nine
0: eleven money, would you? For for I mean, the, the Honda NSX is going to cost that kind of money. Yeah. Hybridized
2: Japanese supercar. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Honda NSX, Nissan GTR. If they can get the technology right and they can get the performance right, if this thing is a turbocharged rotary, which can deliver fairly impressive performance, I think they can get away with. Uh, money somewhere in between that gtr to nsx level so okay so we're talking just over 100 grand sort of thing i'm thinking more like 150 to 200 they'll drop it in that range but with impressive driver assistance technology like this thing will be able to lap race tracks yeah you know in blistering times okay so i see i'm sort of in that school of thinking as well i
1: think if the car looks like that and is that size and has that performance to boot i you know well coming from a motor journalist who earns. Fifteen dollars every three years. You know, I can't really talk about buying any car, but um, but I, but that for me looks like a 100,
2: 150 grand worth of car. If it arrives like the RX Eight, which was the last rotary powered car with one hundred and eighty kilowatts and enormous fuel consumption, then they have no chance. Yeah, but if they can do something really revolutionary with it, it should be good. Okay.
1: All right, moving on to another uh, absolutely show stopping car. Uh, now, this was a real surprise for the show. Yamaha is a company mostly associated with making two wheeled vehicles. They do do the odd side by side and find a little off road kind of thing. And musical instruments. True, true, true. <laughs> and they had a few of those at the display as well. This weird drum kit you could get in. It was mm-hmm. like a, a sphere drum kit. I I'd love, love one. to Did you see anyone playing it? It was yeah, really cool. Yeah, at the, at the opening, oh, of no the car. Way. I had a guy playing it. It was amazing. Awesome. I arrived a bit late. But the reason we were there, Mike, was to see their absolute centerpiece, which was a sports car and not anything like a motorbike or an off road vehicle. This was a proper little sort of old Suzuki Cappuccino sized proper little rear-engine
0: sports car. It's actually car. the same size as a Mazda MX-5. It's not as small as you think it okay, is. It's about right, 4 yeah. metres long, and it's it's really, it's so cool to see, because Yamaha has basically just, it, okay, it, it made a, a concept city car two years ago, but this is something else entirely. But it's basically come out and just schooled more established car brands and how to make a desirable little sports car. We've seen so many companies talk about doing it, and a few have. Mm. Sure, the 86 comes to mind, and the MX-5 comes to mind. But this thing, it looks like a Mini Pagani. It was Developed by the guy who did the McLaren F1, Gordon Murray, it's got a carbon fibre tub like a race car. It's some of the fine detailing in the cabin is unbelievably good. Most importantly, the display car had a trumpet on the parcel shelf because of the Yamaha musical. I connection. saw that, wasn't that Be- brilliant? Because, yeah. because Japan, I guess. Um, but seriously, this thing—it'll probably have a little motorbike engine, yeah. like a thousand cc triple somewhere around that market. Mm-hmm. Weighs 750 kilos, yep. which is nothing. It looks amazing, and it's
1: Yamaha. And as you say, you know, looking at the technology that they've already clearly put into the car this is not just a clay model it's way further down the line this this is a like looking at the detail yeah. on this car
0: looking at the, the fact that it's got production brakes production suspension yeah. production it's got it is you could drive that thing off the stand this yeah. was not like a yeah you know, like you say a glorified you know uh model yeah with nothing
2: underneath yeah like, they're this, serious w- this about was the not. real really deal. really want to see this thing go into production it's like it's like an MR2, but they've turned up the dial even yeah. further, like you say, carbon fibre production, uh, construction, and things like that. But if they do not put the one liter engine out of the R1 sport bike in it, they are completely and utterly nuts. Like if that thing were able to rev to fourteen thousand rpm, that would just be the greatest micro sports car in history.
0: Well, they absolutely have. I mean, that would make sense as the only engine because it's the biggest engine the company currently does, and surely. That's the one that they put in it. Because you, the, l- the little city car they had two years ago was an EV. Now this isn't going to be an EV. It wouldn't make any sense to make it. No, EV. it's
1: going to be a lovely fuel-guzzling maniac. Yeah, there's a little noisy, now a
2: chance though, that it might be because Yamaha has built a lot of high-performance engines for Toyota. So, could the bones for this engine come from, say, a Yaris, perhaps? Maybe. Well,
1: actually... Oh, come on. With a a high-revving,
2: high-compression head, which is what Yamaha does
1: and
0: does really well. Well, The Gordon Murray design says that its carbon-fibre tub is going to be quite affordable by those standards. So, it it could keep the cost down that way. Don't forget, Yamaha did the most amazing V8 engine in the 90s and 2000s for the Volvo S80, among others. So, Yamaha has form when it comes to this sort of thing. I just love the fact that it's not a brand you normally associate with four wheels, like you said, and they've come out and done something amazing and it's brilliant
1: okay let's hope we see it on Australian soil if it actually ends up going to production but as I say fingers crossed we'd love to see this okay very quickly how much do you reckon something like that would be worth Ooh, what God. would you pay for that who does it go up against I mean
0: well it's the size of an MX-5 yeah, so be- you'd have to say something around that mark sort of mid-30s you'd yeah. think
1: Okay, Who knows? That'd be good. Or you know, is it even a some, like more. Lotus competitor? I mean, it's nice. Yes, it sp- could be a
2: Lotus Elise competitor. Absolutely. So, so you pretty, can get 70, pretty light and pretty exotic. But I wouldn't think Lotus money. I'd think maybe fifty thousand dollars. It's a Yamaha after all. Yeah, I'd, I'd benchmark it around that, and I reckon that's what they'd sell it at. But it depends what engine they put in it and what okay. it can deliver performance. If it was mine, the first thing I would
1: do is uh, modify the tailpipe to be the trumpet. I'd, I'd obviously use a Yamaha <laughs>
2: trumpet. Did, did you guys make sure that the trumpet isn't actually there instead of a horn? Maybe <laughs> like maybe that's what you've got to honk at oh, people. That'll
1: be so good Okay Fingers crossed that that's what they do Some nice little design tweaks uh, You are listening to Fender Bender On Joy ninety four point nine. Stay with us We'll be back after this short break Before the break You heard Big in Japan uh, By Martin Solvig. And someone else who is big in Japan Is Mike Costello He's 6 foot 4 He was literally big in Japan Yeah uh, and while you were there Mike you were before the break we were talking about all the concepts and things that were happening at the show and but we were there to do a little drive weren't we We were actually there to, to you know get behind the wheel of something not just look and dribble over lovely concepts and new cars. and you drove something that was potentially critical for a company called Mitsubishi which you were talking about earlier and you drove mm. it also somewhere very special tell us about it
0: yes yeah, so I, was, I was a little bit uh, mean on Mitsubishi before you know I mean and I think we shouldn't forget the fact that it is the fifth biggest selling brand in Australia based on things like the Triton that we talked about, and the Triton-based SUV called the Challenger. Although it's not actually called the Challenger anymore, it's now called the Pajero Sport. And that's what I drove near Mount Fuji on the footsteps of the famous Mount Fuji. Not that I saw any of Mount Fuji because it was covered in fog and cloud, which is a bit of a shame. But Mitsubishi has this amazing off-road track in the footsteps of Mount Fuji. Pajero Sport... Based on the new Triton, uh, much improved car, going to go up against recently launched things like the Ford Everest, the Toyota Fortuna, and established rugged off roaders like the Isuzu MUX. And it really fills that gap where we talked before about the current Pajero is getting on a bit, still getting around, still off a of seven seat, still on the market, but this is kind of a supplementary car to that. Yeah. And the brand has much higher hopes for it because the Challenger, as it was a good, affordable, rugged, reliable car, but it never really set the world on fire in mm-hmm. terms of sales, in terms of traction. This new one massive improvement in every way it's much more refined than before it's more luxurious and up spec before every variant will get Apple CarPlay and Android Auto oh cool Still tough as nails off-road. Really clever off-road technology. Um, I was lucky enough to actually go on a very quick jaunt around this purpose-made circuit with a Dakar Rally champion. No way. Absolutely trashed the living hell out of a completely stock version of this car. Really? Gave the hell and the thing handled it. Oh, very God. impressive. Just the fact we never hit the bump stops once. The the suspension <laughs> compliance and the use of the torque vectoring technology off-road was really pretty high-end stuff.
1: Wow, this you is- using all kinds of like four-wheel drive
0: turns <laughs> and stuff and I didn't understand it word of it this is the sort of car Mitsubishi does really well rugged tough off-roaders that just get the bloody job done Uh, but it's It does have some nods to modernity. It's the first Mitsubishi ever with an eight-speed automatic transmission. It's the first Mitsubishi with a blind spot monitor. It's got an electric park brake. It's got hill descent control. It's got some stuff that you don't typically see in this class of vehicle. And while I haven't driven it on local roads, I have spent time in the Everest and the Fortuna. And I can say this thing is definitely a viable competitor to those cars. It's a massive step up on what the Challenger was. So pretty impressive. So have they spent all their money on it, though? M-
1: possibly. <laughs> no. Th- so look- is this like the swan song from Mitsubishi? Like, we're going to do one last really good look, car.
0: My calls before about Mitsubishi focusing on-, on the ASEAN area might be true in some ways, but this is definitely a global car and it deserves to be a global car because it actually is a very good bit of, bit of kit.
1: And uh, does that mean we're going to get it in Australia? Absolutely. It launches in December. Great.
0: Um, it'll probably be starting at around 40k. It'll go up to about 50k, somewhere around there. Triton's hugely popular. This thing will be way more popular than its predecessor. Not right. everyone is enamoured with the styling. Okay. It's quite... Quite, you know, uh, but styling so subjective, I don't want to really comment on that. It job. does have a kind of unusual set of tail
2: lights, though. It
0: really does. Some are going to hate it. Some are going to love it. I've heard mixed feelings on the car. It's certainly not conventional looking. But, you know, it tows three and a bit tons. It's tough. It's rugged. It's refined. It's a step up. And this is the sort of car that Aussies love to buy. And, you know, talking to some off-road enthusiasts like regularly in forums and clubs and things mm-hmm. like that, they love the Challenger. Yep. And they'll like the Pajero Sport. Okay, ready to roll. So who's going to buy it here? Will it be existing owners? Are they looking to conquest sales from other brands? Potentially. There's a strong following in the hardcore off-road scene to modify them that will buy it. People who want to tow horse floats and big boats will buy it. Grey nomads who want to drive around the country will buy it. People who are adventurous. You're not going to buy this if you want to get something like a Santa Fe, which is a bit softer, car-based, all that sort of stuff. Inherently, these cars are not going to be quite as refined on the road because they're designed to go off it. Okay. So it's going to be that kind of buyer who wants to actually get something. Dirty, that
1: was going to be my next question. It's like the old Holden Colorado thing, isn't it? It's a great car off road, but as soon as you try and drive it on anything smooth, it's horrendous. But the, the Pajero Sport is a significantly better car than the Holden, okay? Absolutely, and it? not real fa- fair comparison. It's sli- is it smaller or is it around about the same size? No, around the same size, it, okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's a, it's a fairly big car, not okay. quite as big as a Pajero, but and I think that having the Pajero Sport name is quite clever because people know the Pajero name really, really well, and this is kind of tapping into that. Right, Okay. Okay. so well done Mitsubishi, you know. It's a brand that obviously cops a bit every now and then, but on this occasion... From you, just earlier. Yes, exactly, but this is (laughs) genuinely, and I say it with all honesty, it's a really, really good effort.
2: Okay, looking forward to getting it here. I have one little thing, though, that I find a little bit perplexing that Mitsubishi is going to do when the car arrives in Australia. Now, they have a seven-seat version of the Outlander, and the Pajero offers seven seats, and overseas the Pajero Sport will offer seven seats... Mm but it won't hear. Very strange. And I actually did point that out in my my review as well, and I was confused by that.
0: I suspect it's because they don't want this to take all the sales away from the Pajero. Right. You know, you can't just have one car that does everything. Otherwise, people won't buy anything else in your range. And the Pajero Sport is so much more modern than the Pajero. If it had a seven-seater as well, it would probably cut the grass of its bigger brother. But, you know, it's also a five-seater has more cargo storage space. And if they obviously did, did a study and worked out that most of the buyers in this market don't
1: really want a third row. All right, well, let's hope that the uh, Pajero Sport keeps especially um, in the game for the time being.
2: Melbourne's most lovable radio station, Joy
1: 94.9. That is so true. And I'd like to think we're some of the most lovable radio presenters in, in Melbourne as well. Silence from my co-presenters. <laughs> they obviously think I'm talking <laughs> utter <laughs> rubbish. That is
0: the uh, nicest uh, thing anyone
1: has ever said to me, Dan. Really? Oh, God, that's sad, Mike. No. We'll have a talk after the show. <laughs> you know. While you were in uh, Japan driving the Pajero Sport, I was also there driving a rival brand, sort of. Kind of, not really at all. Uh, another Japanese brand, Subaru. Uh, and they had laid on a special drive for a group of journalists from Australia um, and only journalists from Australia. This was special because the Subaru brand is so highly regarded here that they decided to reward us Aussies and say, Cullen, drive something that will be coming here, the Lavorgue. Now, love or hate the name? It's divided, people. It says grovel backwards. Oh, nice. Don't say that because then I have to then I have to mention the the Ford Focus and we all know what that says backwards. <laughs> working out for yourself, guys. Um, okay, so I was there to drive the Subaru Levorg and I'm just watching Kez Casey's face. He's doing. He's working out what trying to keep focus it together. Yeah, don't, wait, don't wait.
2: Don't worry. The drive. F- oh wait. Hang on. No. Okay. Yeah. Go on.
1: <laughs> I drove the Levorg and uh, this car is basically it's based on the WRX. Platform. Sorry, I'll say that properly, WRX platform, which is the sporty sedan we already have here. We also get it in an STI version, which is not sexually transmitted infection. It's Subaru Technica International. Uh, and the Vlavorik is basically a car that will come here and be an estate car or a wagon to replace what now we don't get, which is the Liberty wagon. Now, it's slightly smaller, but Mitsubishi is making a point of saying this is not a WRX wagon. It's a replacement for the Liberty wagon. So with that in mind they put us on basically a racing circuit i'm like hang on guys how are you telling us on the one hand this is appealing to practical people and people with families and yet you're letting us drive like lunatics on a racing circuit actually on that note it wasn't a racing circuit for cars this was probably of the most interesting things about the trip it was actually at a place called the cycle sports center also near Mount Fuji, and on the day we went, Mike, it was beautiful. We had lovely views of it, and anyway, um, yeah, it wasn't actually a car track at all. It was a bike track, uh, and it had been specially built, six k long. It was almost like something out of like it was almost Soviet push the
0: bike or motorbike push bike push bike. Did you have to dodge people in lycra as you were on your? Desk? No, that's what, they what I, I wanted to it know. For yeah. us. It, was yeah. a, it was a
1: private track, and there were no people no. allowed. So there was no, was no point thing. scoring. No, wouldn't have that no. been fun? Maybe. No, no, M- that's not maybe right. no, no, no. We, we like cyclists on Fernembenda as well. Um, they're the ones who do the bending of the fender. So we were on this circuit, uh, it was 6Ks long, and it was a really great technical circuit. But the frightening thing is, because it was for bikes, push bikes, there were no arm codes, no barriers, no runoffs, no gravel traps. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done in a car, I'll be completely honest. But thankfully, we had underneath us the new Subaru LeVorg, which has got the 2 litre turbocharged boxer 4 of the WRX. It also has the permanent four wheel drive system of the WRX. I'm sorry, Subaru. I don't care what you say. I know you're going for Liberty Wagon, previous owners and fans, but this feels every bit like a wagon version of a WRX. Which they used to offer. They used to offer. like a hatch wagon kind of thing. And I say that entirely to its credit. It is really good. It might not look quite sporty on the outside. They might have left off some of the vents and the the bright colours. It certainly looks a little bit more conservative. But when you get in the car, it's a wonderful drive. It's really good. It's got bags of grip. It's got tons of grunt from that lovely two-litre boxer. I don't know what the fuel consumption is going to be like because that is one of the main criticisms of the WRX. The thing that probably leans it more towards practicality rather than sport is it's only available with their CVT which is their continuously variable transmission no manual, unfortunately, which would be a really great combination in, in this car, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, uh, the package overall is actually very good. It's coming to Australia. It will be here in just a couple of months. Uh, pricing and all that, I think, is yet to be announced. Uh, but, it, actually, it will be a really valuable addition to the Subaru range, and it was it was fantastic fun. Now, um, I did get into a little bit of trouble because uh, one of the, another interesting thing about the trip was that they had the engineers on, on site as well. And uh, all the journalists were giving it a damn good go, and it wasn't a particularly hot day, but two journalists, uh, one of them, myself included,
2: managed to break them.
1: <laughs> uh, and, it, it look, not in a sort of... I didn't crash or anything, because... This when... is
2: why we can't have nice things.
1: No, it, and this is exactly why we can have nice things, because the engineers <laughs> came over, and they suddenly started asking us all these questions, you know, how were you driving it? Were you in auto or manual mode with the CVT? You know, what sort of revs are you in? And, and they wanted to know all this information. And they went away, and they said, we're going to sort this problem, and when it comes to Australia, you're not going to have... Virtually on that day they said this car will come to Australia with, an, with a transmission oil cooler And it doesn't get one here So thank you ladies and gentlemen
2: I made the LeVorg better When it arrives here it will be improved thanks to you, me You can send your letter of thanks to Dan One of the things that the LeVorg has in Japan that, it, that you didn't mention though Is a 1.6 litre turbo oh, engine true. Which is like a base model It's not WRX based at all Are we going to get that in Australia? No we aren't That's disappointing yeah. It well, is it? Because it would just be, it'd be a bit slow, wouldn't well, it? Well, it would be nice to see... It's a 1.6 turbo, so it's not going to be disgustingly slow. It will be like a normal mid size or small yeah, hatch so. kind of competitor. But, but I'd like really power. like to see that engine rolled out across the rest of the range. Okay. All right, just well, as a knows. replacement for their 2-litre naturally aspirated engine that they currently run. Possibly. That would have been the kind of the way to launch that, but... Uh, I guess, you know Well, If I have to have a performance wagon, so be it
1: True, we're going to take a very (laughs) short break But before we go, uh, I want to say thank you very much To the wonderful Betty, who's uh, emailed in And says simply, cheeky, humorous Lovable, handsome presenters What more can you say about the Fenderbender crew? You're on Joy
2: 94.9
1: You are listening to Fenderbender on Joy 94.9 Before the break we were talking about Mike And my uh, extravagant drive Adventures in The Land of the Rising Sun Uh, But now we're coming back to the show. We had our little drive out, and then we went back to see all the wonderful things that were being exhibited. We did mention a couple of concepts before, but we're going to head back there now, because Subaru, the company I was there with, I drove their LeVorg, uh, they released a concept of the Impreza, the next shape Impreza. Now, I had a chat to the director of the design department at Subaru, and he said, as we stood next to it, he said, the next Impreza will look like that. Because like, come on, Subaru
0: has form. You remember, it's, it's one of those companies that releases concept cars and then it releases the production versions, and they're quite watered down. It's yes. happened before, yeah. and it's something that companies often do. And uh, Subaru has form in their department. So let's hope that it's really changed its stripes.
1: It's a really good-looking thing. It's now they uh, the, this uh, gentleman, the de- director of design department, he said with the, with the current shape and pretzel people love it for its practicality, they love the way it drives, they like all of its attributes, but it doesn't have any fun in it, and what they're trying to get back is that sense of fun, which the Impresso always had, you know, it's, it came across as a really sort of, you know, sporting sedan and, and hatchback, so they're really going for that with this one, and I, I hope they, they keep it, because as with all concept cars, yeah, okay, the mirrors will be dropped and the door handles that are flushed to the body, they'll be dropped as well, but there's actually looking at it in person, there's not a lot that will prevent it going through in, in a pretty
2: same-same likeness to production. production-safe kind yeah. of shape. There's always concept car stuff that you won't see it's got really pointy cool led headlights and taillights and things like that that'll yeah. get watered down like you say the LED mirrors and door handles and maybe some different bumpers but if if <laughs> it makes it through looking the way it did on the motor show stand it will sell its socks off excellent
1: uh something else that was there which we have talked about before but we got a chance to see it in person is the toyota Kikai. now yeah. mike you described this in a wonderful way what do you say this looks like Oh, it looks a little bit like. Do you remember the movie
0: Wally? <laughs> yes. It looks like they've tried to make Wally, but they've kind of. It just melted a little bit or something. <laughs> it, it's a weird little... It's it's the kind of car you'd only see in concept form. And it's the kind of car you'd only see at the Tokyo Motor Show. It looks a bit like a helicopter without a rotor. Or a slightly melted wally, Or a motorbike that grew half a car body. It's, yeah. it's inside out. It's got it's, it's got bits all over the top of it. It wouldn't pass pedestrian regulations oh, no. for one thing. That would eat children alive. It would. Car. It's sort of like a little mini Japanese hot rod. And I don't know why Toyota did it. I really don't. Because concept <laughs> cars are supposed to be about, you know, this is going to preview something
2: we're going to do it, in the future loosely. I like this that.
0: car can never happen, and I don't get it. I like the
2: frivolous nature so of it. So Toyota describes it as the showing the complex beauty of the mechanical aspects of cars. There you go. Which is a little bit too haiku for, you know, a Corolla perhaps. But I think it's kind of cool. It's it's what a retro-futuristic hot-rod kind of, with a steampunk vibe, might look like. Um, It's guaranteed to make you car sick because it has (laughs) windows at floor level so you can see the front suspension Oh, weird. And if you've ever been in a car where you can actually see the road going Uh. underneath you, you can do that for all of two minutes before you're about to hurl. Really? But like you say, there is not a single chance that this thing is even close to you know a production reality it's just a bunch of designers who kind of went you know what let's have some fun on the company's account
0: here's why i have a beef because toyota has been saying forever it's going to make a super successor and the more time it wastes yeah, true. spending money and time on concepts that will never go anywhere and never come to fruition is time it should be spending making a bloody supra
1: well maybe maybe the Kikai is the new <laughs> supra Maybe they've just decided, you know, to change up things a little bit, you know. You wanted a rear-drive, front-engined, fabulous sports coupe, but well, actually what we're going to give you is a tiny Jeep with all the suspension bits on the <laughs> wrong side of the bodywork.
2: Bold. Okay. Mm, part of me really
0: wants that to be the next Super <laughs> now. <an hour. laughs> just to say the disappointment in the, in the enthusiast fight. Someone that
1: know. wasn't disappointing is the good people are the good people at Lexus uh, with a concept they revealed called the LFFC which is a a vast, vast car. It's bigger than a Mercedes S-Class. It's uh, a hybrid at the moment, but they're saying that within five years, this car will be available running on a hydrogen fuel cell, which is exciting stuff, because now that's another contender. I mean, yes, I know Toyota already has the Mirai, which is a hydrogen fuel cell car, and Lexus is a sub-brand of Toyota, or at least... Under the same ownership, but that's another brand that you may potentially see running on a hydrogen fuel cell. And with more cars on the road or available in showrooms, that means the infrastructure gains pace, and we're looking more increasingly like we will have hydrogen fuel cells as an alternative energy source. So I assume this preview is the next generation LS. Yes, which
0: I would is just Lexus's flagship S class rival. I assume so. And the LS was the first car Lexus ever did, the LS 400 of 1989. So this is back to the future in a weird sort of way. Like, you almost sound a bit like Byron I there did, from a I? But this, this is the car that made. Lexus this is where the company began and it was Lexus was quite revolutionary for its time Uh, And so it's interesting for one reason because it's a successor to that It's interesting also because it's taking their spindle grill to new heights that really distinctive massive front more that Lexuses have on them that you're going to love or hate. I fall into the latter category for what it's worth. <laughs> um, but it's it, other than that, it is a beautiful looking concept. And the hydrogen thing is interesting. And it's really interesting because companies are starting to make their limo versions, the cars that they experiment with, a little more, just like they used to in the past. So the new Volkswagen Phaeton, for instance, will be electric only. Wow. This will be hydrogen there'll probably be a petrol or a hybrid of some sort, you'd have to assume, but hydrogen will at least be offered. It's quite interesting to me that companies are kind of taking, it always was that the top spec limo in your range was the car that you experimented with and everything trickled down from yeah. there, right? It sort of seems like Lexus is going back to that mould, which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I like that principle. I mean, that, that works well. I mean, look at all the other sort of premium brands. You start seeing technology that filters down into you know, more affordable models, and that sort of works quite well, I think. And good on them. Uh, one other. Now, Nissan uh, showed a concept called the IDS, which is now, I mean, emerging technologies, a lot of people talking about autonomy, um, particularly the Japanese. It looks like it nears ever closer by the day. We're talking about Land Rover, who's got, uh, um, they've got a car which is a- a autonomous off-road. Nissan's IDS is an electric car, which is also self-driving. Um, another one of those. So, I mean, this, this is gaining momentum for the autonomous cause, with yet another brand weighing in with a concept that Will perhaps sooner, maybe than we think, will be a production model.
0: Nissan's been on the cutting edge of autonomous cars for a long time. Uh, it's been one of the first to talk about 2020 as the date that it wants to release its first autonomous car. It's a bit vague as to what autonomy actually connotes, how much of it work it does by itself yeah and there's a whole bunch of regulations to be negotiated and how you can safely do it and there's a whole bunch of things that get in the way but it doesn't change a fact this is a beautiful car it's got a revolutionary powertrain and it essentially does drive
1: itself and that's exactly what a concept car should be right absolutely and another one that drives itself is mercedes vision tokyo now this is interesting because it's a german brand that's decided to debut a concept in uh japan which is you know not totally not done but it's it's unusual it's a bit unorthodox now this thing uh, the vision tokyo reminds me a little bit of the f015 which was that another autonomous kind of bubble looking car this one has gone a stage further there's no front row there's no driver's seat there's there's no option to drive it whatsoever it's basically just a lounge on wheels all the seats face in it's basically right imagine imagine those awful stretch limos you get to cheap nightclubs Imagine getting one of those and taking away the driver and front passenger seat. It's basically a a row of seats that all face inwards and you can all have a a gay old time. Just, you know, chatting to your friends, you know, and having a couple of drinks maybe. I don't know, there's probably legislation that stops you doing that. But this is a really interesting autonomous concept because it entirely takes away your ability to drive the car. It is just uh, self-driving.
0: Well, all the talk about vehicle autonomy says that there's always going to be the ability for the driver to intercept and drive if they want. A bit like a plane, flies an autopilot, but you have a pilot there just to take over... In certain circumstances. And I think people want that. I think people love the idea of not having to drive in peak hour traffic, but they also want the ability to take over and grab the wheel if the proverbial hits the fan. So mm. I don't know whether this is the answer, but it's definitely Mercedes'
1: way of showing the world how advanced its technology it's is. It's pushing those limits. And then very quickly, Mike, I want to round out the concept discussion with a car that you had a first-hand experience of. Tell us the name, because not because I'm handing over and doing that good, you know, presenter thing, I just can't pronounce it. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I was a bit Fine for a second. Then Uh, the Toyota Gozai Flesby. 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 (laughs) Sorry, that is not a name. Anything should be called.
0: Toyota Gozai is uh, a company famous for lighting LEDs, etc., etc. Part owned by Toyota but not quite Toyota. Toyota. Anyway, uh, this thing is coated in uh, what can only be described as wetsuit material. I don't really know why. I yeah. assume it's for pedestrian safety. has a bunch of air bubbles under the skin that can push out and pull in and change the fundamental shape of the car. That's so so weird. it twists and bends and looks weird. And uh, I actually bumped into the guy who designed it on the oh, stand yeah. who was just standing around and had a chat and he showed me all the cool things that it can do. But A, it's called the Flesby <laughs> and B, it's coated in wetsuit material. I mean, if that doesn't define the Tokyo Motor show,
1: what the hell does? Absolutely it's perfect. Absolutely right. And on that wonderful, iconic Tokyo note, gentlemen, we have to wind things up. We've had so much to talk about. I'm so sorry to our listeners who are listening in for any production cars, because we could have talked the to- about the Toyota SFR, we could have talked about the Subaru S207, which is a 241 kilowatt tuned version of the WRX STI. We could have talked about the Porsche Macan GTS, we could have talked about the Subaru Forester TS, but we didn't, because what we're going to have to do is just wait for them to arrive on our home soil, and then we will drive them and we will bring them all to you guys on Fender Bender on John 94.9 gentlemen thank you so much for joining me in the studio again to give us all your wonderful Tokyo exploits what he said Excellent. I always love when Mike gets back from an international trip he he speaks phrases for about the next week afterwards in in perfect pronunciation and and, uh, yeah, nicely done. Gentlemen, uh, we will see you very soon on Fender. My name has been Daniel Gardner and it will be after the show. I don't know why people give it that funny context. Next week, Tim Nicholson will be back to take the helm. Uh, Coming up next is the fabulous Birthday Hannah. She's 16 today uh, and she will be bringing you another excellent episode of Cute. So stick with Joy 94.9 This is Fender Bender signing off. Drive safely. This has been a Fender Bender podcast for Joy 94.9, Australia's first and only gay and lesbian radio station. See joy.org.au for more details. Thanks
0: for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy.
1: Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.